join with the myriads of angels and we cry out, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. A holy for each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says in 1 Peter 1.16, it says, be holy for I am holy. Your scripture, your word says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What we're going to see in the word this morning. Father, let our hearts cry out to partake of your holiness and being separate, being different than the world, but living holy, dedicated lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask God, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. We thank you for song worship, worship in spirit and truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in our hearts, in our presence, in our midst. And now, Lord, we're going to open your word and we're going to learn this morning about growing in grace. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time now. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to be teaching verse by verse, um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 12 through 17. 12 through 17. Amazing passage of scripture this morning. Amazing passage. But I want to start it off. I want to get the wheels turning in our minds and our hearts. So let's look at the text before I, uh, I teach from it. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read 12 through 15. The, the word of the Lord says, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. In expository teaching... You, you really gear towards, and when it comes to teaching the text, many expositors will teach on the theme of the text that is before us. Uh, many teachers will um, teach on the theme, or they'll teach on a, a they'll, they'll grab a portion of scripture in there that grabs their heart, grabs their mind, and they kind of center all of their teaching in that passage around one theme. And the theme that, the, the, the theme that grabbed me in my study this week and in my, in my preparation to teach was in verse 15 where he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And when I read that phrase, I had to be like, man, what does that mean? What does that mean to, to fall short of the grace of God? You know, to me, either you're in it or you're out. Either you experience it or you don't. So I really was diving in to this phrase in verse 15 where it says, see to it that no one comes short of the, of the grace of God. And I started reading up on it and researching it. And Dr. William Barclay says this concerning this phrase in verse 15. And this is, where, this is what launched my study this week. This is what got me going in the right direction. William Barclay says this, this phrase, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, could also be translated, failing to keep up. Failing to keep up. With the grace of God. The idea is that the grace of God is moving us forward. And we should welcome God's grace moving us forward and moving with it. And, you know, 
uh, operating and experiencing the grace of God and, and living the Spirit-filled life are synonymous in Scripture. You know, the Holy Spirit comes into our life when we become a born-again believer. He applies God's grace. So these, these phrases could be used interchangeably, but it's about you and I moving forward in the grace of God. Therefore, Pastor David titled his teaching for today, Growing in Grace. Growing in Grace. So that's what I want to talk to you this morning. When you leave here this morning, I want you to leave here thinking about, okay, how can I apply what the Word of God says? How can I yield my life to the Holy Spirit more and let God's grace, as William Barclay says, move me forward in life? Are you ready for that? Y'all want that in your life? All right, let's, let's, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Uh, says, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see a metaphor taking place. And the metaphor is that of a runner. That's what the whole entire, it really ends here at, um, at verse 17. But verses 1 through 17, we have the metaphor of an athlete, of someone running, of a Christian running the race. And we know that when a Christian runs the race, when a believer runs the race, at some point in your life, what will happen? You'll get tired. You'll get tired. You'll, you'll get beat down. And what do you need to continue going? You need strength. You need strength. He says, therefore, strengthen. And I want you to notice, it says there in verse 12, it says, the hands and the knees. So he's not talking about yourself. He's not talking about strengthening your hands and strengthening your knees. He's talking about strengthening those around us. Strengthening those around us. How do we strengthen each other? How, how do we build each other up? It's one of my favorite words. It's called, you ready for this? Big theological word, encouragement. Encour encouragement. One of the greatest ministries that you can have in, in, the, in the body of Christ, in your family, in your work, and everywhere you go, is to exercise the gift of encouragement to propel people forward in encouraging them to trust in the Lord, to live for the Lord. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. So he's not pointing, the author is not saying looking at yourself. He's, he says the hands and the knees that are around you. What does the word encouragement mean? What does the word encouragement mean? Think about the word encourage. Think about in encourage. In means to instill. So in, to instill courage into someone's heart who is wavering, who is weak, who is wobbly, and to help them move forward. Guys, we grow in grace. You grow in grace when you exercise encouragement for other believers by helping them to, as the scripture says, to strengthen the hands that are weak to, uh, and, and the knees that are feeble. Listen to what Isaiah said. I'm going to give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse talking about encouragement. Isaiah 35, chapter 35, verses 3 and 4 says, the prophet says to Israel, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. We can say that to each other this morning. Taryn, take courage. Jana, take courage. 
My lovely wife, take courage. All you guys, take courage and fear not. Be encouraged in your walk with the Lord. Don't let your circumstances uh, dictate what God is doing in your life or what's happening on in the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, the apostle says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. Question for you. When is the last time you encouraged someone? When we, you know, we, sometimes we let that slip. You know, we, we think about encouragement, and we, most of the time we think everybody else is good in life and all is well, but many times that's not the case. And what do they need? They need encouragement. When's the last time you encouraged a family member, encouraged a loved one, encouraged someone in the body of Christ? Do it today. Do it today. Make it a part of your life. Plug it into your phone a couple times a week, whatever you got to do, but encourage one another. Who can you encourage today? So let's be uh, growing in grace. We encourage one another, verse 12. Look at verse 13. Now the author of Hebrews, he, he points it back at the person. He points it back at you, verse 13. He says, and make straight the paths for, notice the word there, your feet. Not them, but your feet. So that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In that phrase there, he says, make straight um, paths for your feet. What's he saying there? Walk in a straight direction. Walk in a straight direction. In other words, um, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Don't be a hypocrite. Walk in the truth. And when you walk down that straight and narrow, guess what it does? It encourages others to walk down the straight and narrow. See, we are setting an example for everyone around us. Men, we are setting an example for our wives and setting an example for our children. Uh, ladies, you are setting an example for your family and for your children. We are constantly, whether we realize it or not, we're constantly setting an example for others to follow or not to follow. Let's be an example. Let's walk straight, as verse 13 says, and be an example for others to follow. The leading cause of atheism in this world is not the universities, it's not the education system. It's the leading cause of atheism in this world is people who call themselves believers, but they don't go out and live like it. And they, they say they are, but their actions and their life don't reflect. And people get turned off by that, and they turn away from faith. So let's not be like that. Let's, let's, let's walk the straight and narrow, and let's can encourage each other in grace and in, 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 in walking and, be, and encouraging one another. Verse 14, continuing on in verse 14. Um, I, guys, I, 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 my, I started the week thinking I was going to get to the end of this chapter. I really did. I was like, that, that was my plan. I even texted the worship leader, and everyone says, we're going to get to the end of the chapter. But it was so deep, and it was so rich that um, I just want to take my time because this is so, this, this is like a big steak dinner. This is so rich and so deep, each phrase in here. But look at verse 14. Verse 14, he says, pursue peace with all men. What's he talking about here? He's talking about relational peace. He's talking about relational peace here. He's talking about getting along with others. He's talking about harmony. This could be in the body. This could be in your family. This could be in your workplace. But, but we need to pursue peace with all men. There's nothing more exhausting or draining than to be at odds with someone 
when you're at odds with someone and you're not seeing eye to eye, what does it do? It sucks the life out of you. It sucks the life out of you. You know, when, when we're not living at peace, we're called to do our very best to live at peace with all men. And I believe ultimately, the ultimate reason for living at peace with all men is to give us, talking about people outside of the church, out in the world, is so that they will trust the words we say and give us an opportunity to share the gospel. So they'll listen to us. People will listen to you if they trust you and they believe you and and you're living the life. But the solution to conflict is pursue peace. Pursue peace. Talk about it. Text them. Call them. Meet with them. Work it out. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If possible, so so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Who is the Lord bringing to your mind this morning? Who is God bringing to your mind this morning? Maybe somebody you need to call up and, and, and pursue peace with. Maybe somebody you're at odds with or somebody you've had a, a difficult relationship with. You know, it, do, it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the circumstances. The Word of God says we are to pursue peace not with some men, but with all men. Be a peacemaker. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 6, but the, the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, so we're called to be peacemakers. And that's part of growing in grace. That's part of growing in grace is, is being a peacemaker so that we can share the gospel with, with others. He continues in verse 14. Uh, verse 14 it continues, he says, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Some of your translations say, and the sanctification, but also some of them say uh, holiness. What is sanctification? Sanctification is growing in grace. It's experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit. And that growth and that experience that takes place when you encounter grace and you encounter the Holy Spirit, it produces holiness. It produces obedience. You can't produce sanctification and holiness in and of yourself, okay? You've got to grow in grace. You've got to grow in your walk with the Spirit and let the grace of God and let the Holy Spirit produce holiness in you, to produce obedience in you. You know, we don't live like the world. 1 Peter 1.16, Peter quoting from the Old Testament, says, Be holy, for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 says, God has not called us for the purposes of impurity, but in sanctification. Many scholars, and I agree the scripture teaches, that there's three phases to the Christian life. There's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is instant. It takes place, it takes place the moment you get saved, where you're justified, You're made into a right relationship with God. And then you enter into sanctification. That big theological word, sanctification, simply means growing. Growing in your faith. Growing in your knowledge. Growing in your relationship with Christ Jesus. And when those things take place, changes start taking place in your life. You start living holy. You you start hating sin. You you start, uh, God starts bringing to your mind and your heart areas of a disobedience and it causes you to repent and to walk in sanctification to to walk 
uh, in holiness? What areas of your life do you need to grow in this morning? What is the Lord putting his finger on right now? What are areas of our life, in our thought life, in our heart life, in our physical life, what are areas of our life that we need to grow in this area of sanctification? You know, this part of the Christian life. It's not optional. Notice he says there in verse 14, he says, without which no one will see the Lord. What the apostle is implying there, that this is part of the Christian life. This is not optional. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and you grow in grace, he is going to grow you. He's going to grow you more and more. Some of us grow really fast and some of us grow really slow, but you're moving forward in your relationship with the Lord. That's verse 14. Let's continue. Verse 15. He says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Again, this was the passage that grabbed my heart this week as I was preparing to study. What does this mean? What does this mean to come short of the grace of God? How does someone today come short of the grace of God? I'm going to present to you two reasons. Two reasons that people will come short of the grace of God. Number one is the obvious. They fail to get saved. They fail to put their trust in Christ Jesus and, and, to, and to become a believer. Now, the New Testament gives us three words that describe salvation. Three simple words that you can remember that describe a person becoming a born-again believer. And, and the first one is, in, in, from John chapter 1, it says to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. In John chapter 3, Jesus said you must be born again. And that first word is receive, okay? You have to receive into your life Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to ask him to come into your heart, to come into your life and be born again. That, I believe, if you had to put salvation in a sequential order, I would, I would say it's receive, repent, believe. Being born again, receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he comes into your life and he gives you the ability to repent. He gives you the ability to believe. But number one is receive. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Number two is repent. Is repent. And it's a heart attitude towards the old life that says, I am done. I, I am turning away from the old life, and I'm turning away from my lawless deeds, and I'm turning to you, Lord. It does not mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have it all together when you first become a believer. But there, there, there's a, a U-turn. There's a repent. There's a, I'm turning away from the old life, and I'm turning to you, God. And it's all by God. It's all given to us by God, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And then, by being born again, he gives us the ability to believe. And that believe simply means putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's receive, repent, believe. Man, somebody, somebody comes to me in counseling and says, man, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I've truly been born again. I'm just going to walk him through those three words because that's what the scripture says. Receive, repent, believe. You, 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 you become born again. You apologize to God for the old sinful life. There's a U-turn. There's a turning away. And, and now you're walking towards the cross. You're putting your trust in Christ. And it's all a gift of God. 
There's no works. There's no actions. There's no deeds on your part. It's all a gift from the Lord. So that's, that's what the number one, that's, that's one reason someone would come short of the grace of God. The second reason, I believe, from my studies of the scripture, that a person can come short of the grace of God, is for a believer to fall back into legalism. To fall back into legalism. In other words, uh, a person comes into a relationship with God. They become born again. They're trusting in Christ. It's all about him. But over time, they see their relationship with God based on their performance and their obedience to God's law. Namely, we don't trust. We don't even trust in our own obedience. We don't trust in our own performance. We trust in a performance, but it's not ours. It's the performance of Christ. It's the cross. Our, our salvation began there, it continues there, it will end there. It's, it's completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not be, no person in this world will be justified before God by living a good life or living a life and obeying God's moral law, obeying the Ten Commandments, if that was even possible, because it's not. But for someone who says they can, they, it, it, that won't even save you. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. This is a good verse to write off to the side because this is powerful for those um, who struggle with legalism because legalism is a bondage. It's a religious bondage. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, you're not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Here it is, the end of Galatians 2, 16. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. The law does not bring justification. The cross does. Christ Jesus does. You know what legalism is? Legalism is a form of idolatry. Legalism is a form of idolatry within the church because what legalism does is says, look at me. You know, you think about the Pharisees and all their robes and their wardrobe. They were like, look at me. Look at the outside. That's legalism. And when we think we're, we're, we're in a right relationship with God based on how we look on the outside or based on the life we live, it is a modern-day form of idolatry, just like a Pharisee. You know, we, uh, we tell people, man, come to church. We care more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside because it starts with the heart. It, 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 uh, your relationship with God, it begins in grace. It continues in grace. And by his grace, he will take you home. So from the beginning to the end, it's grace and the cross. You and I bring nothing to the table. We don't put confidence in our obedience or our good works. Your relationship with God is based on two things, God's grace and the cross, period, end of story. He continues in verse 15, continuing on to verse 15, the next nugget of truth this, the scripture tells us this morning. He says, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many 
be defiled. Family, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. We got to guard our hearts. What do we got to guard our hearts against? According to verse 15, bitterness. The Greek, the Greek word is pikria. And, and it, it's, this word, um, bitterness, is more than just a bitter spirit. It's more than just anger. If you look it up on Blue Letter Bible, it says pikria is a, an extreme wickedness. It's an extreme wickedness that produces a bitter hatred. The examples can be found in Galatians, uh, where it talks about the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. They could be immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, and carousing. These things produce bitterness in us. The, the, and these things uh, keep us from experiencing God's grace and moving forward in our sanctification. But how, how do we, uh, but notice it says there, it says that no root or bitterness, he uses the phrase spring up. How do we keep roots of pikria, that's the Greek word, how do we keep roots of bitterness from springing up? Galatians 5, 16 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This comes from walking in the Spirit and experiencing God's grace. The Holy Spirit wants to grow you in grace. So we walk in the Spirit, we grow in grace, and we grow in our relationship with the Lord. That's how we grow in grace. That's how we move forward in our life. Again, when you study the New Testament and you see phrases like walking in grace and walking in the Spirit, keep in mind they're synonymous. They're, they're, they're the same thing. If you go back and look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, when you walk in grace, when you're yielded to the Spirit, it will produce a fruit. You will be like a tree. And fruit will begin to appear in your life as a result of the Spirit working in your life and as a result of grace. What does that fruit look like? Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. This is what grace does in our life. You want, you want to know, you want to see, you want to look for evidence in your life of grace operating in your life. You want to look for evidence of the Spirit moving in your life. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Are you growing in love? Are you growing in peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your church? Are, are you growing in uh, self-control, you know, disciplining ourselves for godliness and training our minds and, and training our hearts and, and training our lives. These are the things that growing in grace will do. These are the things that the Spirit will produce in your life. Okay? We, we have to be careful, and, I, and, I, and I, I can't emphasize it enough that, yeah, we, we, we have to work on these things, but in a sense we don't because we need the Spirit to do it. It, these areas of our life, we grow in 
when we experience grace, when we walk in the Spirit and we say, Lord, change my heart, change my life, change my mind. Let me, grow me in these areas. It's, it's fruit that appears in our life that's born by him. But, of course, you've got to cooperate. You've got to surrender. You know, we're not robots. We have to say, yes, Lord, my heart is open. Help me to grow in this area of my life. And that is growing in grace. Then he gives us an illustration that we'll, we'll close with in verses 16 and 17. Again, the um, falling short um, in grace, again, it's, it's either a person not coming to full salvation or it's a, a believer falling back in to legalism. Because we know from who the book was written to, it was, it was written to a Hebrew audience that was tempted to go back into legalism. So you could, you could look at it from either angle, and I think you'd be just fine. But verse 16 and 17, he closes with an illustration here. The author says, That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it for it with tears. You know, verse 16 calls Esau a, a godless person. A godless person. That is a one of the most tragic statements that can be made about any person in this life. To think that a person could go through this life and be godless, meaning they don't know the Lord. That's what you were put here for. That's why you're here on this earth. You're here on this earth, number one, to know your creator and to know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to embrace him. But unfortunately, many people, they reject God, the very one that formed them, that gave them life. They, they reject him. And, and Esau here, Esau's sin, if you go back and you look at it in Genesis, Esau's sin, he failed to see the value of God's blessing. He cared more about his stomach than God. He cared more about the things of this world than the things of eternity. He loved and valued the things of, of this world over the things of God. And family, just want to say, that's tragic. That's tragic. Man, what, what, what we're doing this morning, what I, what I hope that you've come to church this morning to invest in your faith, to invest in scriptures, to, to grow, you are investing in the most important thing in this life. Family church is essential. It should be at the top of the list. It should not be closed. It, it should be open because what's taking place in this morning is helping you grow in grace. It's, it's, it's feeding, it's, it's filling a need within your soul for fellowship and for getting into the word. And those things are very, very important. He says in verse 17, for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. 
That's another very tragic statement concerning Esau. That it says, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance. Repentance is, is when you realize you're going in the wrong direction, you're rebelling against God, and you want to turn the other way. This Bible says today, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice today, please, please respond because you may not ever hear it again. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised this week. The only moment we have is, the, is now. And if we hear the Holy Spirit speaking, if, we, if the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction of sin, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, if you're not saved and the Holy Spirit is calling you to himself, man, let today be the day of salvation. Do the right thing and respond. Don't be like Esau and come to a point in life where you can find no place for repentance, even though he sought it, he sought it, he sought for it with tears. Verse 17. In other words, if you hear his voice, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, return to him with all your heart. Give him everything. Give him everything and grow in grace. Grow in grace. That's my challenge to you guys this morning. As, as, as we move into 2021, Calvary Chapel Irmo is going to be a watering hole. It's going to be a watering hole of expository, verse-by-verse teaching for people to come and grow and experience the work of the Spirit in their life and the teaching of the Word to come and grow in grace. You know, sometimes that can be a forgotten subject in, in many churches, but we need to remember that it's all about grace. God calls you by grace. He keeps you by grace. And one day, he will take you home by grace. And grace is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Can I pray for you all this morning? I'm praying for each and every one of you all this morning that in this moment, in this day, in the weeks to come, that God will cause you to grow in grace. You have a loving heavenly father. You have a kind father who has shown you grace and mercy, and he wants you to grow in his love, his truth, and his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for it, church. Let's pray for it. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for Hebrews chapter 12 and these verses on growing in grace. Lord, let no one within the sound of my voice come short of the grace of God, but help us to grow in the grace of God. Help us to experience the grace of God. Help us to walk in the grace of God. Help us to be yielded to your spirit. So Lord, we love you, and I pray for each and every person here. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are going through difficult times. And I pray, Father, for an extra measure of grace in their life as they um, maneuver through the days to come. And you help us, Lord, in all these areas of our life as we grow in grace, we grow in knowledge, and we live out 
the Spirit-filled life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.